we see more per day in Arizona by a mile than what we were seeing down there in Mexico. I would say in Arizona, we're seeing, we're having days where we'll see anywhere from 15 to 50, you know, just coos deer in, in the in the years that have hunted that. And this place that we found ourselves in Mexico this year, we were feeling lucky to turn up a couple of bucks a day. Sometimes it was a struggle to turn up one buck and sometimes we'd see three or four, but it was a struggle and very few just deer overall numbers. So very few does. And the few does we saw were getting chased by, you know, a buck. When you have a bow in your hand, sometimes there's bucks that you would love to take. They're just not in a place where you could take them, you know, whereas, you know, you got this nice 100 inch or 90 inch buck over here. He's in a great spot. So that's the buck you got to go for if you want any opportunity with your bow. Yeah, with a rifle, you get to be picky and you get to go for those, you know, 115 or 120s, I guess, if you put a number to it. I've fallen in love with those little, those little coos deer. They seem very mule deer-esque to me. Like I've gone both ways. I love bow hunting, love rifle hunting. But if I'm just being flat honest, an early season buck in velvet out in the open alpine basin is much easier <laughs> for me than the rifle hunts that I build these days. I point to the young guys just getting into this. They may have not have taken enough animals to know where their heart's going to be, where their brain's going to be, where that punch-o-matic on the trigger is just going to happen. You know, they could be uh, the best shooter on the planet in their yard at a hundo, but you throw a deer in front of them. That moment of truth, you got short window of opportunity and bam, they're punching that trigger and you're not going to be as accurate. And uh, yeah, targets is just so, so, so very different than, uh, than a real life situation. Hey guys, real quick before we get into this episode, I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, go give us a review on iTunes can't stress it enough. It's really, really important for me to help keep this free and to help me keep it going. Next, get involved with your hunting rights. Go join Halfa Wildlife. Super simple. Takes a couple minutes. You can even do the free membership. I don't care, but be involved. Lastly, I want you to do yourself a favor and up your shooting game. Go get you some Phoenix shooting bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%. That's all I got for you. Let's get into this episode. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today, uh, we're, uh, we're coming live, if you can't hear the music in the background, uh, coming live from the Hunt Expo. And uh, I got Ryan Lampers with me, and we're going we're gonna to shoot the shit a little bit and Maybe we can squeeze a couple stories out of him and mm-hmm. catch up with, see what, he, what he's been up to. What's going on, man? Doing well, John. Appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, um, you're, you're a hard man to not tie yeah. down. I think I've tried two or three times to get you on over oh. the years, and we just never can sync up the I know, schedules. I know. Hunting, hunting calendars. and Yeah, these shows are fun because it is a, a nice place to come back and, and kind of catch up with everybody. And yeah. yeah, it is kind of a time we get to sit down and... And I think what we're going to do today is tell some stories. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, no, I love these events. I bring the family down every year, and we really enjoy them. Yeah, I, uh, my wife came in with me this time uh, a couple years back. I think it was a year before COVID she came with me. But other than that, I, for this particular show, it coincides a lot with javelina season for me. Mm, yeah. So I usually run out for like a day or maybe a day and a half, and I just do what I got to do. 
and I rush back. So this is like the first time in a while that I've come for a whole weekend. Gotcha. Gotcha. But um, I've never, I never thought about bringing the kids. I don't know if they would. They'd probably be over it in about five minutes. So. Yeah. Oh, my girls are already done. It's the first morning and they're back up in the hotel room. So <laughs> it's a little yeah. much for them. Yeah. It's and this is Thursday and Saturday comes around. Oh, forget about Saturday. You don't nuts. even want to be in here. Oh, I don't. I will somehow disappear on Saturday and uh, make my way to that hotel room. And yeah, I don't hide. blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. It's just I, I don't. So I was telling my my wife this the other day. Like we were talking about when we went to um, Disneyland, and I'm like, that's it's like torture for me. Not because I don't like you and going on both. rides or seeing my kids happy. And minus the fact that it costs a million dollars to go there. But I can't stand being in crowded places and I can't stand waiting online. So you start yeah. putting me in a place where I'm like squeezed. Yeah, it's like. Oh, it's got me every which way when yeah. we went to Disneyland. So, number one, I'm not a big heat fan. Oh, yeah, yeah, forget that. So, about that. <laughs> like, we went to Florida um, yep. and went down to, what is that, Disney World, I guess? Disney World, yep. That's where I was at this last time. This yeah, year, past year. and we did that. And so the heat killed me. The amount of people killed me, and then standing in lines killed me. It was like a triple. I, I couldn't. I just. It is not me whatsoever. But my girls enjoyed it. Yeah. For a couple rides until they were into the same, you know, impression. Right, and like, then they man, were, over. we're standing in line for an hour here to wait for a five minute ride. Not my kids, man. My kids were tenacious. They wanted to do everything. Oh, geez. Especially my oldest. She was yeah. like, I want to go do this ride. I want to go do this ride. I'm like, okay, let's do it. You know, whatever. Yeah. No, it's brutal. I can walk all day long, but you put me in a line and stand on line, my feet kill me. I can't stand in one spot. That's funny you say that. I was just talking to my wife about that the other day because uh, I, just like you, like I could go hike and I could go do 10, 15 miles in a day. And at the end of the day, I feel pretty good. Yeah. But then you put me in a place like this. Where Standing we're at today, in a booth. At a booth on oh. concrete with people everywhere or a place like Disneyland or World. I'm already done and for today. <laughs> your energy is just, it just gets sucked away so fast. And uh, yeah, I lose it. I lose my steam it, very quickly in these places. And I'm an introvert. So I think uh, just wanting to go crawl in a hole somewhere <laughs> adds yeah, to it. Yeah, for sure. I am not introverted, thank God. But so that part I could, I can, I could be friendly with, with people. I, I can do small talk. Yeah. Not I'm not a I'm not a big small talk person, but I could do it. Uh, but I physically am in pain standing at one spot. I don't know what it is. Like my feet hate standing still. Yeah. The constant motion, like hiking, well, walking, good. whatever. I, I'm okay. Yeah. Standing still just messes me up. I've noticed that my entire life. I mean, I'm 49 now. I remember the days back in uh, even school where I was like super fit. You know, did a lot of sports. And then my buddies want to go to a mall mm. and we go like hike through a mall like, yeah. from one side to the other just, and I would be wiped out, tired. I didn't know what it was. I think it was just the amount of folks or whatever. And I'm still like that today. Yeah. Um, mountains totally different. Right. I mean, throw a heavy pack on all day long, feeling great. But Oof. I think, uh, you throw a bunch of poop people in a room and in a place that I don't really want to be. I'm out. Yep. <laughs> I lose it quick. So, yeah, that's kind of how this expo is. It's fun. I really enjoy these shows, especially a bunch of like-minded people. Get to catch up with old friends and whatnot. At one time a year, you get to do that. But I it, honestly, it wears me out quickly. For sure. For sure. <laughs> so, so, um, you, so you said it's in between javelina season. Yeah. So you're cranking out like just javelina hunts right now? 
right this second? No. So this this year worked out good because I think they started this like a couple days earlier. Mm-hmm. They did. So our ham season, which is the handgun archery muzzleloader season, mm. starts the Friday, next Friday. Oh, okay. So usually like it's like, man, it's just a couple days right before it. And I got to like get home, cook for X amount of people and get all that stuff prepared to go set up camp mm. to do what I got to do. You know, this year, actually, we didn't have, we really didn't have any hunters. I got three hunters coming for hand season. I usually have like a camp of eight to 12. Mm. And then rifle season is usually my biggest. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when we get a lot of people from all over the country. And I'll usually do like 10 to 12 and do two camps, like the first three days and then the next three days. Gotcha. And I'll have like one day in between. <laughs> and we have like two or three rifle hunters this year. So it's, oh, wow. Cr- I don't, I don't know what it is. Mm. I don't know if the, the whole it's, uh, it's a recession thing is for reals or, or Might be. I just yeah. uh, didn't try hard enough to get people this year. <laughs> I don't know. I really, I really don't do a whole lot of marketing for it, but. Mm-hmm. You know, most of my stuff comes from the podcast, but people listening to the podcast, I think for, from the guiding stuff, cause I don't really do, I mean, I don't do any shows. I don't do any type of mm, no marketing, marketing really, really no. for that. Um, mm. and, and I've, I've done that on purpose cause I, I consider myself a, a boutique guide in the sense where I, I only take a handful of people. Mm-hmm. I haven't had an elk hunter in Arizona. We haven't drawn a tag since 2020. Mm. So yeah, actually, I did draw a guy last year. He got a primo hunt too, but uh, I wasn't. I was personally unable to guide him, mm. so he didn't want to go with one of my guides because I had an elk tag in Colorado, and gotcha. my hunting trumps taking yes. other people out all That's the time. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, so unfortunately, uh, I, I end up not having an elk hunter like last year yeah. either. So and this year's, I mean, I think we put in three people. It's mm. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. It's a weird. I'm assuming you've had a probably a pretty busy coos season. I don't know about the guiding part, but just hunting for you and with buddies. I didn't actually hunt coos deer that much. We, no. I think, so Charles was with me. He came down for the archery hunt. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we did, we did the first day and a half in central Arizona. And we were primarily mule deer hunting. Mm. Then we went, because he had a javelina tag, we went down south towards the border, and we hunted there for three and a half days. And so while we were there, he definitely, he stalked coos deer. I did not. I was already, I already had tagged out. Yep. I tagged out the first day that Charles got here. <laughs> there was a buck that I was targeting, and uh, I was able to catch him on the first morning, man. I was catch up with him on the first morning. It was perfect. Cool. I, doesn't usually go that way. No. It was a great muley oh. buck. I call him Megatron. And it makes him sound like he's an absolute giant. I don't mm-hmm. even know what he scores, but he's just a cool buck. He's a five by five. And it's his tines are opposite. So he's got an inline fifth on the front on the on the left side. And then an inline that comes off the back side. Oh, no kidding. I'll show you a picture just of him. Cool looking buck. Yeah. Huh? Good so, mature, older age and, class. Yeah, 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 he's actually. I think he honestly. He, so I, I, I had opportunities at him last year, mm-hmm. and I couldn't catch up with him. And then I got COVID. Oh, yep. so that knocked me out for the whole rest of the season. And uh, unfortunately, 
but I think he was bigger last year. Mm. <laughs> he seemed, I think he might be on the way down. He has no teeth. So he's definitely an older buck. Just regressing a little bit. I think I think mm. so. And I don't know why, because I I would have to imagine that the because the uh habitat was so much better this year that I mean it's not like he had no no teeth. He was eating. It was definitely you know. better, wasn't it? I it, saw man, where we were chasing coos, the grass was over their head in many, many places. Oh yeah, you can't you can't <laughs> even see it. Water talk, let's not talk about javelina hunting. Try to see those oh, little freaking yeah, guys and that see, stuff, man. We saw a few javelina, which is we we felt lucky to see them. Um, and we were glassing hard, hard for ten days chasing coos, and mm-hmm. oh, the havies were there somewhere, but we just weren't seeing them. They're just disappearing in the grasses. Now you were in Arizona, or you went down to no? Somewhere? So we uh, we went down for the first time ever i've never been south of the border uh in my life and we decided to go down and chase him down in old mexico this year so that was fun i used to guide down there Mm -hmm. i had a i still have opportunity to go like if i wanted to i still have the relationships in place Mm -hmm. the last time i went down there man i i did not have a good experience i went and tried a new place and, um, oh, geez, it took me that long to find this buck. Sorry. Oh, dang. Yeah, what a stud. What a cool-looking buck. Thank you. Mm. He is different, isn't he? Right? Yeah. I, I Flip-flops on both sides there. The story behind him is I was actually stalking a buck that would have scored better than him. I, at least I think Great he would have. It's a bother buck we call Heavy D. And um, I was, like, within 100 yards of this buck. And I just kind of caught out of the corner of my eye like a white muzzle. Mm. And I'm like, I think that's a deer over there. So I kind of backed up and I like peeked around this bush. And I'm like, shit, that's Megatron. And I hadn't seen him. So I, I put a stalk on him. This was earlier in the season. This was in December. And um, I don't know. I got over. He was 183 yards from me at that point. By the time I got over there, I don't know. He a doe got him up or something. He got it. But there was another buck there. There was a three by little itty bitty three by three standing where he was bedded, so I don't know if that buck came over and like harassed the doe that I, that I didn't see, and she she got up and he left with the doe. That's what I'm right. assuming happened because right, right. I didn't get busted. At least I don't think I did. Um, but anyway, mm. yeah, it was uh, it was pretty interesting, pretty yeah. interesting hunt. So yeah, Mexico, Mexico. Uh, last time I was there, I cut my hand. I think. You can't really tell because it's right where that crease is, but I cut my hand from here to here on rusty barbed wire fence. Oh, geez. Crossing the fence, huh? I, um, I whacked myself in the back of my head with my rifle because I was, another time I was crossing a fence or something, fence line. I was trying to get somewhere really fast. And then um, I finally found a good buck, found like a 115-inch coos buck. Awesome. Actually, I got it on video too. I missed him four times. Oh, geez. Like Man. layup shots. Huh. And I couldn't figure out why. And I found out later on. So I was using the Bushnell. For whatever reason, I was doing like a, I was doing a range finder um, review on my blog. Mm-hmm. And I was using these Bushnell fusions. And there's like different modes. One, it was still in bow mode. That was number one. Number two, it wasn't in brush mode. So I wasn't getting the right range. Kind of flatter country. Too. So I was like shooting. No, actually, I was shoot, I was up high and I was shooting down into some oh. like like creosote type brush, okay. and 
it was, I don't know what it was bouncing off of, but whatever it was, I found out that I just wasn't picking the right mm. range. Mm. So on the last one, I guessed, I'm like, oh my, I'm going to turn it up. And I turn it up and I shot right over his back. So it was somewhere in between, in between what I was getting. And Dang. I was like, I cannot believe this. And I ended up shooting a buck, but I just shot a buck out of frustration, I think. It was like a 90s buck, something like. You don't have to be too far off on cues. They're tiny. Yeah. They're tiny little bodies on them. So yeah, yeah I could see that. It was. We saw. I saw a jaguar on that trip. Did you really? Yeah. Gosh dang, that's cool. I, we were hoping to see one. Yeah. <laughs> we had all intention to trying to glass one up, whatever it took. But and, we didn't even see a mountain lion. We didn't see uh, any cats on this trip, unfortunately. There's quite a bit of quite a bit of lions down there, but yeah. it depends on the ranches you're on because those ranchers kind of hammer them down pretty mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. You yeah. know, and unfortunately, they probably hammer down the the jaguars too. Sure. They shoot shovel shut up type of mentality down there. Yeah, um, I think they do a pretty uh, good number on all things heavy and deer and pretty near everything out there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, I found a couple of deadheads on that trip too. Like we found one set that was locked together. It was kind of mm, cool. That's cool. Big mm. bucks. Yeah. Real big bucks. This was really, this is a lot further south than I've, had, I've ever gone. It was like the beginning of the, the tropical belt. But we were still up in the mountains, like real high, huh. actually. I think, I don't, I don't know how many feet in elevation it was, but I want to say it was over six. No kidding. Hmm. Over six. Lots of turkey, too. Shit ton of turkey down there. We saw a lot of turkey. So how many years did you hunt down in Mexico? Did you? Um, I did it for four years. Four years? Yeah. 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 So I'm on the entry level of checking it out down there. This was our first year doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd seen Arizona. I'd hunted it a handful of years. And um, last year, I had to skip a year last year. I had COVID just at the wrong time. Right. So missed a missed my coos hunt, coos slash mule deer hunt. Um, and then there were some changes with Arizona's, obviously, you know. It's, it's rough now. Tags um, and the quota thing. So we thought, well, maybe this would be the year to – check out mexico give it a shot and you know i'm like i said i don't do a ton of you know border hopping or anything like that mm-hmm. but and there's a little worrisome going down there you know it's intimidating i guess it's very All the stories you hear um cartel talk whatever and just crossing the border with rifles you know getting the truck through um, the permitting how many permitting, stops you got to make please the military all the yeah. things you got to go yes. through but we bit the bullet and we decided to do it, give it a shot. I'm glad we did. It was great. We had a great hunt all together, filled all four tags. Went to a ranch that uh, it wasn't the highest density of mm-hmm. areas for deer. Okay. Uh, in fact, honestly, we see more per day in Arizona by a mile than what we were seeing down there oh, okay. in Mexico. I would say in Arizona, we're seeing, we're having days where we'll see anywhere from 15 to 50, you know, just coos deer. Right, in, in general, in, in yeah. In the years that I've hunted that. Um, and this place that we found ourselves in Mexico this year, we were feeling lucky to turn up a couple of bucks a day. Sometimes it was a struggle to turn up one buck, and sometimes we'd see three or four. Right. But it was a struggle, and very few just deer overall numbers, so very few does. And the few does we saw were getting chased by you know, a buck. Question, what dates were you, like, not around about, so, you were beginning of January or? No, we were end of January. So oh, I just okay. got back. I okay. just got back here. Um, oh, then so you were there prime time. We were, we were. I, I want to say it was the 
January 18th mm-hmm. through the 30th. Oh, okay. In there. Yeah. So that's like literally prime, prime time. time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think the fact was we were just in a place that didn't have a lot of deer. We were high in the mountains. Mm-hmm. We went to a place that wasn't down, you know, it wasn't very Arizona-esque in the, in the way of the features. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were up in the mountains looking down. A lot of down. oak trees and stuff? Yeah, a lot of oaks. A lot of oaks. So Got it wasn't it. as open. So yellow grass was at a premium down there. Like we weren't seeing a whole lot of it. Now, coos love that yellow grass. You know, they love the, the feed in there from what we found. But the numbers just weren't at this place. We had four sets of eyeballs glassing morning till dark, and, and it was just tough to find them. Just, mm. There just wasn't a good amount of deer there. A few tracks and places. And combo, I think, you know, an area with low density with uh, water everywhere this year. I mean, there was puddles everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it had just rained before we got there, too. So there was just every, every rock that was cup-shaped had water in it kind of spreads them out a little bit and then the tall grass made it extra tough yeah you know you get these bucks that are laying down or deer that are laying down and good luck that's the other thing too so there might have been a lot more deer there than you thought of Mm -hmm. because even though prime we say it's prime time you never know it's kind of it's the thing about arizona even mexico we have such a trickle rut Mm -hmm. like the rut starts in the end of november and goes all the way through to march right right it's not like you know, come November 7th and you got, you know, deer running on the tree, on the it's tree very stand, different than up north. you know, it's yeah. not, you don't got, yeah, that, it's not like that. Just to give you an idea, Charles and I were in six different units mm-hmm. in a week. Like I traveled and I, and I put almost a thousand miles on my truck. I traveled that much to chase the run around to find areas where right. I knew does were at. Let's see, let's go see if the bucks are there yet. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. Like Especially mule deer, even more so than the coos. Like, a buck, he'll come into an area, be there for three days, do his business, and then he's four miles away. Mm-hmm. And then he'll come back to that area. Yep. Like, he, he's got these, like, crazy loops. like they, And, you know, there, there's rules of thumb, you know, or sorry, exceptions to the rule to that. But it, it's just different. Yep. I, it's not like... So I outfit out in South Dakota. I started getting word from guys down on the AZ border that um, going into that second week of January, they were like, man, it is on down here. Yeah. Like they're, they're just screaming around everywhere. And um, I had some videos sent to me of bucks chasing does like crazy. Right. So, you know, you get excited. But, yeah, it's a very long – it can be a very long, long, drawn-out rut. Different than – you know, a, a few weeks up in the North Country chasing mule deer up where I'm from. Yeah. Every year, so we talked about javelina. Every year we have the rifle javelina hunters come in. Mm-hmm. I call javelina my gateway drug. That's how I hook people to mm-hmm. come cruise deer hunting with me. Come on a cheap javelina hunt, and then you come deer hunting with me. It's always at the end of February, mm-hmm. like the last week of February. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the first couple of days of March, depending on how the, the year falls. And we see more rutting coos deer than do yeah. we than we see during the January season. No kidding! Wow, that's late, right? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and the we big, were, big, big boys come out. Then we were looking at seasons, and um, you know, we we did, we hunted it hard this year and had a great time. In the end, we learned this piece very well, and we were grabbing these vantage points where we could see a lot. We could see everything, and we we ended up taking four good bucks. I um, saw. I saw. I think I, I definitely saw your buck. Mm. 
on Instagram, I believe. Yeah. And I don't know if I saw the other ones, but... Yeah, we ended up taking four. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Hunter McWaters, he took his first coos he's ever taken. Brad Hunt, he took a good one, and then Brian took another. He oh, took Brian a stud. was with you? Yeah, he took a stud as well. So overall, it was a great hunt. I say it was low density, and low density doesn't bother me at all. That's no. fine. If we're seeing, because we saw some studs, and um, you know, one stud every yeah. so often, so every fun. other day, or every few days or so is enough to mm-hmm. get me excited. So I, uh, I loved my time down there. I had a great time to the point that we're already planning for next year. You know, <laughs> I want to get awesome. back down and do it again. And with AZ uh, changing some of the quota systems and tags there. Plus, it's a, a lot nicer to have a rifle in your hand than, than yeah, a bow when you're going for cruise I've been deer. chasing them uh, with my bow for a few years <laughs> down there and somehow managed to uh, to get some good ones. But I tell you, with a rifle in hand, oh, it's nice. Yeah. It's really Because well, nice. you could pick and choose. I don't know. It's like for me, when I'm bow hunting coos deer, it doesn't take much for me to find a buck that I like mm-hmm. with when I have a bow in my hand. Yeah. But when I have a rifle in my hand, I'll, I'll be picky and choosing. Oh, yeah. And you, you, you know. don't have all the options. When you have a bow in your hand, sometimes there's bucks that you would love to take. Yeah. There's just not a place where you could take them. You know, whereas, you know, you got this nice 100-inch or 90-inch buck over here. He's in a great spot. So right. that's the buck you got to go for if you want any opportunity with your bow. Yeah, with a rifle, you get to be picky. And you right. got to go for those. You know, 115 or Especially if you can shoot out far, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, I've fallen in love with those little those little coos deer. They um, they seem very mule deer-esque yeah. to me. They are, in a lot of they're ways. They're like trapped in this little whitetail body, but they're, they're kind of mule deer on crack. Yeah, they're like they are super they are high strung. Spazzy and, and just all over the place. And yeah. we got so much dang footage this year of Brian's buck especially. His buck was just schizo man i mean he would he was just like even when there wasn't even a doe in the area he'd just back and forth bird dogging all day long oh and then he'd bed down and then for no reason he'd get up and he'd just zip over over the mountain and he'd zip back over at some point in the day and it's just crazy like their their mannerisms are just way different than uh any of the other deer that i've Mm -hmm. hunted in the past yeah there are a a lot of things that they do too are very eastern whitetail too Mm -hmm. which like behaviorally, obviously they're a whitetail. They should be doing whitetail stuff, but like they, they do the scrapes. They do. They come to the rattling. Mm-hmm. They they'll answer to the grunting and stuff if if it's the right situation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I shouldn't say that because I haven't hunted whitetail enough in the West. I hunt it mostly in the Midwest and the East. Mm-hmm. But as far as what I've seen, like they're the more most like an eastern whitetail in like their avoidance and how they deal with people right i think the whitetail in the west tend to be more mule deer like little or people say mule deer are stupid it's not stupid they're just a little more curious a little more Mm -hmm. i don't forgiving Mm. where the coos deer are like like the whitetail back east where they catch a little whiff of something they're like fuck this i'm out of here yeah 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 yeah, it's it's an interesting. I'm I'm really enjoying the challenge of trying to learn more about these coos deer. Yeah. Like I say, I've I think I've done it. Uh, I guess this be year five, four or five, something like that. You've got and, one every year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, now the awesome. first year I came down, I got real lucky. <laughs> I mean, I found a great buck, um, big old giant coos, and he was just in this basin. Mm-hmm. Multiple bucks rutting. I ended up with a um, a day 
Well, number one, the area that they were in was rolly, had some oaks in it, but picture perfect for a, a stock with a bow. Okay. And um, the one day that that buck with his group kind of bedded down in a spot, he bedded down in a great area. And I had a windy, loud, noisy oh, day, beautiful. which was perfect. And so I was able to get in range, and I, I got into 18 yards and had him come by me. He ended up standing up, came right where I thought he would, and I got an arrow in him. Great buck. Um, now, year two in my pursuit down south, uh, somehow I managed to glass up a mule deer buck, and then it was all over. I was all about the mule deer. It's <laughs> like, oh yeah, well, I remember seeing that. I remember here, seeing that mule deer actually. I think. Oh man, I was like, oh, I see. The, you look down in the flats and you see giant mule deer. You look up in the mountains and you're seeing coos deer. And as soon as I looked down in the flats and I got whiff of that that one buck that I found, it was like, oh, that's the buck for me. I'm going to go for that, and I'm going right. to give up on these coos. And ended up ended up. Uh, taking that buck he just put himself in the wrong spot as well and then fast forward year three I ended up getting in on a great buck with my bow another good probably 115-ish class type mm-hmm. coos and I don't know there's probably a bunch of different tactics uh, that you could use for chasing coos with a bow yeah my tactic was watch them they have a smaller range sit back watch them see kind of where they tend to use the most, like these little saddles. Mm-hmm. So the country I was hunting, they were using this one saddle over and over and over. And it got so repetitive that probably the fourth day is when I You're got like, my I, move. I got to get up there. I'm getting into that saddle. The wind was right, got behind a boulder, got in a spot where I could actually get my bow drawn back without him spooking. And he came right through it at the perfect time of day. And I got a, it's another 18-yard shot. Awesome. And then last year, COVID killed us. And then this year was Mexico. So that's my... That's my uh, history with coos deer at this point. Nice. But so far, it's been great. I am all in. I'm addicted. They are such a cool deer and such a big challenge. Yeah. Rifle or bow, both. Just a challenge. Oh, yeah. Especially when you, you add some numbers to maturity, you know, with a rifle, and um, it can be as hard as, sure. as, hard as you want it sure. to be. Sure. For a while, it was the only rifle hunt I really enjoyed. Yeah. Because I felt like I was putting into it what I have to put into it with a bow. Mm-hmm. I've since kind of like, I don't know, I started hunting differently mm-hmm. uh, with my rifle that made me start enjoying it more. Yeah, and we, we do that as well. Um, we'll do that with mule deer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's places where you can almost feel like, like, I will say this, and people probably don't like that I say this, but going down to Colorado and chasing big muley bucks, last part of august early part of september i'm not going to say it's easy Mm -hmm. but it's way easier of a hunt for for a lot of folks than some of my hunts that i go do with a rifle in my hand oh yeah in late october in some extremely rugged weather battered areas in the rockies yeah some of those hunts the challenge isn't in the shot. The challenge is in dealing with the elements. Oh, yeah. Getting into these areas and uh, day after day after day of putting in the time. To or even finding. A giant I was going to say, even finding a buck. buck. Yeah. That time of year, they're very. Very tough to locate. The yeah. good ones are hard to find. Yeah. And so then, you know, you've got all those extreme challenges. The shot is the shot. Yeah. But, you know, you, you can make it as hard as you want it to be. And yet, I have kind of gotten, like I've gone both ways. I love bow hunting, love rifle hunting. But if I'm just being flat honest, an early season buck in velvet 
out in the open alpine basin is much easier <laughs> for me than I, I the agree rifle with you. And I haven't done I a lot of that hunting. Days. I yeah. haven't done a lot of that hunting. Yeah. But every and I, I haven't honestly I, I don't have any big bucks in velvet. Most of my big bucks are always been hard horned mm. and rut bucks. Yeah. But the the velvet deer never seemed as hard to me. Mm-hmm. And, I mean physically Mm-hmm. You know, climbing 10,000 feet, you know, climbing up basins and stuff. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, there's that. Sure. But if you're in good shape, it's not really a thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, I've even done it where I didn't camp out there, and I've had a hike up and in every every day because I don't do well in tents. I don't sleep. Okay. So, uh, and if I don't sleep, I'm, <laughs> I might as well not go hunting, <laughs> right? You know, I could do it for a couple of days maybe, but so... I've always operated like I'm a front country hunter, mm-hmm. even if I'm hunting back country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So yep. a lot more miles on the boots. Mm-hmm. But so that always added a, an element to it. But the actual animal, the actual hunt, the actual stalk, I never found that more difficult either. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad to hear mm-hmm. somebody who I consider a, a, you know, more accomplished hunter than I am say that because mm-hmm. people argue with me about that all the time. I'm like, eh. <laughs> I don't. I don't see it. Yeah, I don't. You I know, don't either. I mean, it, I, I think running gonna, bucks that are not going to be in the same area are oh, not yeah. patternable. Running around, like, I, I mean, if I told you stories in South Dakota, I should bring you to South Dakota one of these days. But you spend an hour and a half putting in the stalk to get to this buck, and then a doe walks by, and that fucker's going after her. Yeah, like yeah. it's not. You know, it blows yeah. up on you like for all these different reasons that you have no control over. Right. It's not your fault. It's going to happen. Like there's going to sure. be, and it happens five times in a day. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? There is no putting a deer to bed. You could do that in Arizona just because it gets hotter, so they'll lay down longer. But even that, like, you don't have all that time in the world when a deer goes to bed. It's not like when a deer goes to bed in September. He's freaking there all damn day. <laughs> you got your, you got hours to put that. You could wait in. till the wind's right. You could, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. like you yeah. don't have that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's great. I love it. I, I loved my time. I spent quite a few years doing that early stuff in like a state like Nevada, mm-hmm. Colorado. And it's a great, it's a challenge. It's, it's good time. I'm just not willing to say it's harder or more of a challenge than a late season migrating yeah. buck mm-hmm. that like you said, he may be there one day, gone the next. Good luck catching up to him. Right. Throw in some nasty extreme storms, snow, wind, oh, fog. Yeah. You add all these elements, and it's about as hard as it gets. It's about as tough of a hunt. If I was to look back on all my hunts that I've done, I would say the most extreme, the most difficult, the ones that you remember the most are those late-season hunts in the mm-hmm. weather with a rifle in hand. Not easier because of the rifle. Right tougher because of the weather right and the conditions and that terrain i would say but still love those early season you know uh stocking in on velvet bucks but if we're being honest i would say it's a lot easier to go put a tag on a big old velvet yeah. buck in the alpine basin with your bow than it is late season hard horn with a rifle if you want it to be right yeah right See, I, I can't come out and physically say that like and stay take a stance because i don't have any big velvet bucks but um, I had a tag in 2019 for Nevada. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was hunting 10, 
nine, nine to 11,000 feet. Nice. And man, I, I can't tell you how many stalks I got into like 20 yards. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a buck because I sucked and I screwed it up. On the shot or was On it? On the shot. Okay. Yeah. I, I, there was a thing loose on my, on my sight. Mm-hmm. So when my bow went off, it went bang. It oh. like had this crazy like vibration. Slayer jumping the string. Oh my God. I, oh, I, yeah. Twice it happened to me. I mm. cut one across the brisket, mm. jumped straight up. And the other one was over his back. And I was like, oh, fuck it. I can't. Like, and, and first time in my life that I quit a hunt, I, I literally walked away. I wounded three deer. Mm. I was so embarrassed with myself. I was like, this is, this is like, I don't deserve a buck. I don't deserve to put my tag on a deer because I've already wounded three. And they were all good bucks, like. 160 to 180 bucks not like giant absolute giants but good bucks but the reason why i'm bringing that up not to not to not to throw myself under the table under the bus over here but i i uh i didn't find it hard Mm -hmm. to get to create those opportunities Mm -hmm. i fucked them up but i didn't find it hard to create those opportunities so yeah you know and i hunted here i've hunted here i hunted here four years in a row utah for you know alpine bucks and i i killed three deer out of four years the, the fourth year i actually only hunted three days so i don't even know if i should consider it but yeah yeah so i, I don't know i just yeah I, think, I agree with you it's i think the different. rifle versus bow thing i mean i just try to not be snobby either way like, yeah. i love me some rifle hunting yeah love it i love i love this year in mexico with the rifle chasing coos deer what did we do to make it hard we just added a an idea of the kind of buck we wanted. Like we put limitations. Right. Not shooting a buck that's under 110, 115. Like oh, yeah. We're going for them bigger boys. We got a rifle. We, we got terrain that lends itself to getting above them and glassing these big basins. And, and that's the limitation we did. We made it a hard hunt. We just made it. And then... How many days were you down there? Um, let's see. It was about 10, 9, 10 days. Something like that. So you had the time to put in for it. We too. had the time. Yeah, we. It took us a while. You know, we. It was thick country, mountainous. Just getting into this place. I mean, we had to park our rigs at the bottom and drive in on the side by sides. Mm-hmm. Trucks weren't going to make it in there if you wanted to come out in one piece. Right. And um, and so you know when we got in there, we started learning it, learning where we started seeing picking up some animals. Um, and we quickly, I mean, three, four days in, and you got a pretty good feel on where you should be in the mornings and, and evenings. Um, but still, like, it took, it took a while just to find a buck of caliber that we really wanted to put a tag on, mm-hmm. you know, as well. Because we just wanted, we felt like, well, this is, uh, this is one of those areas where we may have opportunity to kill a bigger buck than we've been able to with our bows on the AZ side. We'll see. And then quickly we realized, yeah, we're not seeing many, but the maturity levels on these things are pretty good. Like they're just, if they're not getting killed by cats, they're not getting killed by anything. Right. And so um, in the end, you know, taking four good bucks, two really good bucks, exceptional bucks, with another buck down there that uh, like has us wanting to come back type bucks. Oh, nice. (laughs) Like holy smokes. (laughs) Like that is next level and then some. You know, that's what made it exciting, but. Yeah, it, like I say, it, it, it always takes a few days to learn it. And once we did, we started really kind of getting in and 
figuring it out and kind of knowing every, we were able to relocate bucks that we've seen before. Okay. You know, one of the unique things, um, we film our hunts now. So, and this is something that I never knew prior to hanging out with Brian where there's a camera involved. You know, we'd, we'd look at bucks sometimes through the glass, get quick glimpses of bucks and not really know what we had. Mm-hmm. Get it in the spot and you're like, man, it's like a mile away. It looks pretty good. Not until you get back and you, you got the advantage of like throwing it on the computer and like blowing it up and looking at it where then you're like, oh, it smokes. Like, dang, yeah. there's some stickers and that big beam there is all clubbed out. Right. You know? And you're yep. like, man... And we noticed so many things coming back, looking at our film later that yeah. we just didn't see in the moment. I can't even tell you how many experiences we've had just hunting with these guys with the film, doing the film thing. Remind, remind me when we, we get off, I got to show you a video from this season from oh, of a giant coos buck that my, uh, one of my youth hunters yeah. unfortunately didn't get. Got but, it filmed though? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's pretty neat going back at the end of the day and looking and seeing, you know, maybe you didn't notice it in the glass. Yeah. Or the even the spotter. But and we've we've done this with bears, we've done this with elk. We always come back and we're like, you know, there's something we missed here. But having the luxury of doing that with coos deer, because let's face it, I mean these coos are pretty small. And when you're used to hunting muleys, like muleys, I feel like you, you get gla- glass on a good muley and you're like, dang, that's a buck right there. Right. Like no doubt about it. Whereas a lot of times these coos, you get your glass up and you're like, mm. It looks pretty good. There yeah. might be some heft there. Yeah. And then uh, you really you blow it up on the computer later. And you're like, dang, that's a buck we should probably go back, try to relocate. And so we did a lot of that. Like, we did a lot of intel in the first week of being there. Like, this is an area that's got this good buck here. This basin's got this good buck. And so then we'd go inevitably go back to those basins and um, try to relocate and put them down. And we, we were successful in doing that. And uh, it worked out pretty well on two of the better bucks on this trip. Nice. So, so was this a um, one of the like DIY uh, DIY 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 style where they they just give you like the ranch, like yeah. you purchase you lease yep. the ranch or whatever for yeah. So they they have like um, the paperwork and all that. Once you get through the border and all that, there's. Uh, a gentleman that will kind of escort escort you to your ranch, okay, and then get there and they open it up. Say, "This is where you're at." There you go. We park, you drive in, and we go a long ways on those those side by sides. Yep, and um, and hunt it from there. It had okay. like a little ranch house for you guys yep. to stay. Okay. Yep, way back in the middle of this these mountains in this range, and there's a little ranch house back there, and we crashed there and just hunted away from that every day. How far south were you? Oh gosh. I don't know. Like it was on a the Hermosillo hours. side, or it was, it was a couple hours. Okay, south. Yeah. Do you remember, do you remember any of the towns there? The little towns there. I'm, I'm just trying to get a, a, an idea of because you said that density was low. It sounds like you were not far off from where where I was telling you where I was hunting last. Okay. That when you get to the tropical yeah, we, belt, I mean, the, we crossed over the at Douglas. bucks get bigger, but the density gets yep. a little smaller. Yep. 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 There's, it's all like. Oak trees. As a matter of fact, there a lot of turkeys, a lot of turkeys. They yep. and they they uh, export out a lot of charcoal, like mm. the the oak oak baguette baguette mm. uh, charcoal from that area. Okay. Um, does Bacanora sound that familiar to mm. you? No. Okay. No. 
They make a special type of tequila over there. It's, it's actually called Bacanora. It's not even a tequila, but it's kind of made like tequila is made. It's a spirit that they make in that area. Gotcha. I'm wondering if that's I need, I need to learn more about the area. I mean, we kind of went with blinders on. Once we crossed the border, it was like yeah. our little caravan. We zipped down to our spot, hopped off on a road, and then it was just like, felt like Arizona. Right, right. <laughs> a little bit different terrain, but felt like Arizona. You know, kind of just had it to ourselves. And, that's cool. And, um, you know, honestly, I mean, like I said, we saw some good bucks, but um, we've seen all that and then some in Arizona as well on the Arizona yeah. side. There's a lot more people to contend with on the AZ oh, yeah. side. And and when this you- year with quotas, not knowing if you were going to be able to even hunt, if the quota would be filled, you know. I can tell you none of, of none of the coos deer quotas got filled. Mule deer did and coos deer didn't, right? I, I knew that was going to happen. Yep. So yep. this is what happened in uh, – you, you could give Brian Call some shit for this for myself, from me. But when, when, those, when uh, those guys were promoting going coos deer hunting down there, mm-hmm. uh, Brian and Randy and all those guys, then Hush guys, everybody was going down there for coos deer. Mm-hmm. And they did what you did on year two. They're like, oh, shit, look at that fucking There's mule deer. There's out here. Yeah. So it kind of backfired on the game and fish mm. and all this influx of people was coming, were coming in to hunt that were supposed to be coos deer hunting end up mule deer hunting. And now it's yeah. not yeah. what it, that, that led a lot to, of course, you the know, a lot of system, the quota system, but, a, but, a, you know, a lot of it was also environmental and yeah, that drought was no joke. That last year I hunted down there two years ago. Man, there wasn't a blade of grass to be seen and where the, we were. And there wasn't a water hole that didn't have a person on it. Yep, yep. The few spots that had water had folks on it. and um, Every every deer that came in there got slaughtered. That was a nutty year for sure. This is the first time that the bow season uh, rivaled the success rate of the really? rifle season. Hmm. Dang, crazy. Yeah, I'd never seen it so dead. I mean... You could see every deer, whether it was bedded or not, because there was no nothing, grass. Yeah, there was nothing hiding them. <laughs> it was so drastically different than a year like this where we, we're down there now and we're like, dang, once they bed down, they're gone. They're gone. Yeah. You better put a marker on it because you're going to lose them. Um, and uh, versus that year, you could see everything. Yep. No grass anywhere. It's just a weird, different kind of year. And I know the rut was wanky. It, it was slow. It didn't even really... I never saw the rut that year, like, excel to the point that it usually does. The nutrition was gone. It does that a lot in Arizona. I've seen it in elk. I've seen it in in the deer especially, that when it's a drought, it's mother's nature's way, I guess, of, you know, the cycle is not the same for Mm -hmm. these does. And they know that those fawns aren't going to survive because there's nothing for them and it just, they just, the rut shuts down. Yeah. It's, it's yep. crazy. Yep. Sorry. Yep. But, um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's yeah. I was talking to Jim that year, Heffelfinger. Oh yeah. He was very Jim, worried about guy. it. Man, he's a great guy, isn't he? Yeah. There's the book of knowledge right there. I love talking to Jim. All things deer related. I just go to him and ask yeah. him. Yeah. And now wolves too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's a man of many talents and he digs in and he gets all the research done. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to, I should was talking to him last week and we're going to try to set up something to get him on the podcast. So I want to talk about this situation and this mm-hmm. quota system. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of, there's a lot of faults with it too. There's a lot of things that are not good. And I advocated for it 
because it was the lesser of the evils at the time. Then go in total draw. Yeah, but system. now that I look at it, I'm like, man, it just causes crowding in the units that are open. Mm. Like, so it's not really, you know, so let's say you got 500 people in unit one, and then unit one closes. So now those 500 people go meet with the 200 people that were already in unit two, and now you got 700 people. You know, because especially for out-of-state guys, because you paid money to take the trip. You're not just going to go home. Right. You're going to move to where you can hunt. It's not like that, and, you know, you you may not have as many spots to go to, too. Have you, do you have any ideas on what, what's your opinion on what you think would work a little bit better? Is it full draw? Is it? I think is it, is it specific be, units? I think they're gonna, if they're going to do what they're doing now. One, it should be a quota system like we do for bear. Mm-hmm. Each season has a quota. Don't do it September, December, January. That's ridiculous. Knock those numbers down. Make them split them up between whatever the percentage of success rate is. That's number one. Number two, I think they should do it as a block. Kind of like what Idaho does. Sort of, I guess. Where you go and you're like, all right, I'm going to take, you know, 34A and 34B. Is That's my, those are the only two units I get to hunt mm-hmm. for that tag. It shouldn't be like a full, like, draw. It should still maybe do the first come, first serve situation like, like Idaho is doing, like they are doing now. Mm-hmm. That might work work out fine but i think it should be these are the three units you got so so many tags per each individual unit right and that way you don't get all these clumping of people yeah traveling from one to another well, the other pro- part of that is because in december you know what's happening is like oh shit this unit's gonna close i'm gonna smoke this forky mm. otherwise i don't get to fill my deer tag mm-hmm. we saw a lot of that mm. yeah and I don't know if this is just, I'm just drawing conclusions to put my tinfoil hat on or not, but this year, more than I've ever seen, I saw a shit ton of wounded muley bucks. No kidding. The area where I killed that buck that I showed you, every single buck had a fucking limp. Jeez. Man, that sucks. Charles's buck. Mm-hmm. Also shot in the same unit that I shot my buck. Well, mm-hmm. not the same unit, but uh, close enough. Same area. Technically, it was a different unit, but very much the same area. He had a cut across his back, like somebody shot him, and he ducked, and he sure, and he yeah. caught it, or they sure. or they ranged wrong. But and I was like, "What's going on here?" And I started thinking about it. I'm like the psychology of being with your back against the wall like shit I need to kill something before this unit closes mm. it makes you do desperate shit I've done it myself many times I think that's what happened to me after I wounded the first buck in Nevada, in Nevada mm-hmm. it was in my head and I just I got more instead of doing the opposite which which is with, oh hey I need to slow down I need to make sure I got the right shot I need, I, I need to get in the right position no, I had to prove that I, you know, to myself. And I think that's, I think that mentality is a lot more prevalent than we think it is. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I saw it because I saw, also saw the number of young bucks that were killed too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I, 
I think a lot of and it, it had to happen in December because a lot of guys wanted to kill before their tag was quarter, over quarter went out. and before the quota before everybody came in for January mm-hmm. because nobody was nobody was coming in for December from out of town not many right but you get an influx of 10,000 people or whatever they the quota or the number is now, I think it's 10,000 tags for the whole state, something like that. It's up there. You're like, well, shit, 10,000 people are going to start coming. I got to, I got to finish. I got to close make this it out. Happen. Right? Yeah. 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 I could, I could see that. I, could see that. I, I don't, I don't have any real evidence and I sure. don't have a study done, but yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm drawing conclusions, but I well, think a that's a very real conversation thing. about like, yeah, I mean, just the ethical nature of taking longer shots at animals with a bow. Well, I feel like we're on a... I'm a hypocrite. I can't get involved in that conversation, okay. dude. I, <laughs> I, start, I have started to see, and I've seen it in Arizona more than anywhere else Yeah, in my life. Um, well, in Arizona... 100-yard bombs, 120-yard bombs. Oh, that's, that's, deer, that's long. Deer. That's longer. That's longer than I take. But Arizona, just to give you a quick anecdotal, anecdotal story. Mm-hmm. So... Years ago, I don't remember how many years ago this was, but years and years ago, I went to South Carolina to hunt. Mm-hmm. And I was outside practicing my bow, and I walked 70 yards back to shoot at this target. And these guys came out of there like, what are you doing over here? That's this far away. I'm like, I'm going to shoot that target over there. Oh, and they bet me. All of them bet me. It was five guys. Bet me 20 bucks. I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'll take your money. Shot. Mm-hmm. Nobody in the country 15, maybe maybe a little, between 15 and 20 years ago was shooting mm-hmm. over 40 yards with a bow. Right. Arizona, everybody I knew shot 50, 60, and 70 yards. Yeah, just the openness. Of I, the had tree, 80, I had an 80-yard pin. So this is something very... Very like you know, I've killed elk at eighty yards mm-hmm. with my bow. It was a very part of the culture there mm. to take those longer shots, not hundred yards, hundred twenty yards, but 80, 80 yards and under. Yeah, especially with modern modern bows that are that are today. So somewhere along the line that switched, and now I feel like that's country wide that people have that mentality. A lot of yeah. people do. Some don't. Some yeah. will still frown on it. Yeah, if you you know if it's over forty yards, it's too much for a bow. You shouldn't be bow hunting. Mm-hmm. You should be rifle hunting. Yeah. Um, I forgot where I was going with this, but I mean, I, I've seen it throughout the country, <laughs> I, but I've never seen it as prevalent as in Arizona. It is very um, prevalent in Arizona. I know, just in my few short years of hunting down here, uh, just sitting up on glass and knobs, glassing all day, I've seen young men take shots that were way, way too far. Hundred yard shots at a coos deer it's a little deer, deer yeah moving deer a walking deer i've seen a lot and uh yeah i don't know it, it it's becoming commonplace i feel like for some reason i don't i don't like it i, I think like a lot it. of that has to do with social media though think, people want to i think you're right I think people want right. to have something to post I, mm. I know i know it because i've caught myself mm. wanting to do stupid sure. shit just so i have the yeah. ability to say hey look at me Right. No, there's got to uh, be something to that. Gotta so, be. you know, and let's face it, a lot of the younger guys, that's kind of their thing, right? Right. You know, um, like it or not, social media probably plays a role in those 100%. getting extended out. 100%. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I'm old school, I guess. I, I'm one of those guys. I'm always like 40 and in. Yeah, I, I wish I could a, do that. I can't I've do it. I've killed a deer. I've killed a, an elk at 50, and I've killed a deer at 60. Mm-hmm. And those are my longest by far. But the goal always is inside of 40. Mm-hmm. Always is inside of 40. Unless the... the, the you're a um, better hunter than me, but <laughs> no, I can't, I can't, no, it. I can't I just do don't it. trust myself to uh, not screw it up. But I think... Um, you know, obviously we got, we got, you know, bows now that can shoot far beyond that. And we do these all, you know, these 3d shoots and, right. you know, I do my Western hunting summits and dude, we air it out and have challenges and we do the little beat Brian Barney contests and inevitably we're out there at 130, 140 mm-hmm. and guys are still just sinking them in there. Like, right. It's unbelievable how, how well guys are shooting these days at those long ranges. And we all are. But I'm still under the mentality of, uh, especially on a deer or an elk that's one step away from a shoulder shot, you mm-hmm. know, that I always try to get inside a 40. But like I said, I've taken a bullet 50 as well. So there yeah. is that. Right. The conditions were perfect. So, yeah, I don't know where I was going with it, that either. But, but, but you I, know what? The, I, I, tell I was you discouraged. Just, just, I remember uh, two years in a row down in Arizona where I saw shots getting taken. I was like, man. And one of them was sunk it right in the hind quarter. Oof. on a walking deer of course it's going to go back there yeah and the other one was just a clean miss but it was still like <sighs> such a long bomb right um just got to work a little harder yeah well you know that the whole coos deer thing became like a like a trend mm. and, and I, I, as such because the way it was you know it was kind of promoted and whatever and people really didn't know know about it didn't understand it yeah. and the way it was brought about was brought about in social media so in order for you to feel like hey i'm part of this elite club that i can kill a koozie with a bow some success i guess yeah so you you again it goes back to being desperate wanting to do desperate stuff right, right, right. um you know for me i've always been because i knew shots were longer I not only just practice long shots because practicing long shots, I mean, anybody can stand in front of a target and make a long shot if you practice that much, as much, you know, a, a lot. Sure. It's, it's putting yourself in the lifelike situations, putting yourself in the contorted positions that you might be in to make those shots, the conditions, the weather, the, you know, all these things have got to come into play. And then, yeah. then when you've mastered all those things, and remastered and remastered every year, year well, to year. I, I, and year and I don't out. even think it's just that. I think that, I think you could have all those mastered, you right? Could, and, and you don't know yet, what's going to go out. Buck fever is a thing. Like yeah. target panic is a thing with most folks. I think, um, and and I I point to the young guys just getting into this. They may have not have taken enough animals to know exactly where their heart's going to be, where their brain's going to be, exactly where that punch on the trigger is just going to happen. Right. You know, they could be uh, the best shooter on the planet in their yard at a hundo, but you throw a deer in front of them, that moment of truth, you got short window of opportunity and bam, they're punching that trigger and you're not going to be as accurate. And uh, yeah, targets is just so, so, so very different than, uh, than a real life situation. Yeah. You know, I, I think the target panic thing is overlooked by these long range, long, long range shooters because most of the time, they just haven't got enough experience mm-hmm. and they haven't been able to figure out how to calm that heart rate down at that moment of truth. Right. Cause that's when it matters. You get that right. And I feel like, yeah, 60, maybe a 70 yard shot, something like that. 
much more doable. But man, when, I did a, I did a podcast <laughs> with uh, Randy Ulmer. Okay, and we were talking about a lot about this, but we were talking about jumping the string. Okay, yeah. and I'll tell you right now, I would rather shoot a Kuzir at sixty and seventy yards because of the noise. Sh- then shoot one at 40 and 50 yards. Right. 20 yards, different story. 30 yards. If you could get in there, you know, sure. you're, you're usually okay. But I've even seen them at that. Well, real Come quick, on glued. before you get into that, <laughs> I've had that happen. I remember I, I told you uh, I had an 18-yard shot yeah, on yeah. the last bow kill. So that, um, that buck was side total broadside shot. Mm-hmm. I was dead still. <laughs> Let that thing go. I got a quiet bow. Uh-huh. And that buck at 18 yards still managed to spin at the shot, and it almost went full frontal on that buck. Mm-hmm. It punched not right behind the shoulder, but right in front of the shoulder that fast on a coos. Yep. So absolutely, I know where you're going with this. The ability for a coos buck especially to jump string is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah so something about the 60 to 70-yard range, they don't react. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. Sometimes. If it's like stupid quiet, that's a different story. Sure. Yeah. But they don't react. Yeah. 40 and 50 yards? Forget. You're, they're not even, they're not going to be there when your arrow gets there. <laughs> no kidding. I've, I've yeah, had it happen. I mean, yeah. unless you're shooting like stupid fast bow, mm-hmm. which, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people do. I don't shoot a very fast. I don't shoot a very heavy arrow or a very light arrow. I'm kind of like right in between, like, mm. like 440. Like, I don't, yeah. I'm not a super high foc guy i don't mm. believe in any of that shit i did so much testing mm-hmm. um and like real testing with lab radars and you know in in wind tunnels all that crap i did it all yeah and uh i found a happy medium is the best performer out of everything mm-hmm. i've i just killed a moose in montana this year 55 yards mm-hmm. passed through nice with a 440 yeah uh, that was a 460. Okay. That yeah. was, uh, my, so my elk setup is, my elk setup, which would be my moose setup is 460. Yeah. But my, my normal day-to-day, every other game species, 440. Yeah. But that, I told you I killed a bull at 80 yards. That was 426 grain arrow hmm. with a mechanical broadhead. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's about, I mean, that, you know, shot placement obviously played, mm-hmm. played a role into that and whatever, but, and that was a pass-through. Yeah. Nice. But. I've done a lot of research and I know my equipment and I spend a lot of time tinkering with it or have. Now I don't try not to tinker anymore because I don't want to screw with things. But I found that, that that system, not being super fast, bow's quiet enough, the arrow's moving fast enough, you got enough punch, you got enough FOC, like 14, 15%. You don't have to be like, you know, mm-hmm. extreme 20s and 30s. Um, I haven't, so the, uh, that that moose, I shot him. Okay, was quartering two, passed through, ran. He stopped at seventy yards. I had already knocked another arrow, and I shot him again and passed through the, at seventy yards, the opposite, mm. the opposite way, crisscrossed. Nice. Mm. Wow. And that one was even more, more. It was like almost he was almost facing me, and I put it in, and it came out his back hip. Mm. So like it went through structure. Yeah. Like, you know, it's about broadhead and arrow construction and right you know yeah what do you what did you say what kind of uh expandable were you shooting on, uh, that? on that first one was uh it was a schwacker but that the moose was the was, was, was iron fixed. will okay yeah 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 i yeah, would I, 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 on an elk i stopped hunting elk with expandables and not because i had any bad experiences um 
I just did so much penetration testing and so much testing that I, I actually designed a couple different broadheads, which made me go down a certain road and whatever. Uh, but I really, really, really love the single bevel mm-hmm. with a little bleeder, yep. iron will, 125 grain. Again, not crazy. Super sharp. And I mean, obviously yeah. that story tells you they, it, they very, do what they're supposed to do. Very similar to what I shoot. I shoot a, an extremely similar and I'm shooting a day six head. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Great. And my setup, it's not crazy heavy. It's a 540. Okay. I'm always right there at 540. And I just keep it the same for deer and elk. And yeah. It's what I always shoot. I, I have two, I have two bows. Courses. That one I just keep set up for elk. Oh yeah. Yep. And then the other one I sh- shoot all, all animals with because I do a lot of coyote hunting with mm-hmm. bow mm-hmm. and I call them in. I think this has a lot to do with why I've kind of tuned. I used to use it as a tuning tool. You know, I shoot coyotes on the run and fast, quick scenarios and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they, I got accustomed to getting in the mode without getting that buck fever, you know, without having those. I get buck fever after, after it's done. Mm. Not while it's happening. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you got the ability to calm yourself at the shot and all that. I don't, I see, I don't even have to calm things. myself. I'm already yeah. calm. Yeah. Like I never have to like talk myself unless it's like a really big, like, oh my frick, I, I can't believe I'm going to get an opportunity at this. Mm. That I might sure. do it. Yeah. That yeah, I'm the same. I, I've never had a huge issue with the, uh, with the nerves at the moment of the shot. Mm-hmm. I'm almost too calm, I think, in a lot of. A lot of scenarios. My wife would say I'm just um, unemotional. Okay. <laughs> so um, I've been labeled with that a lot. But it helps me in those situations, I feel like, because uh, I don't get rattled. Yeah. And I don't get shaken or punchy with yeah. the trigger. But my buddies, I've, I've seen it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. These guys can shoot, uh, except for that moment of truth. It's always like the second shot is the best shot. Yeah. The first shot, I don't even know where it went. <laughs> For some of my buddies, but yeah. Yeah, see, I, I think for me, I don't think it's because I'm calm. I think it's because I'm so used to operating in a sped up, mm. punchy situation. Like, that's just the way I, mm. I used to tell people all the time, like when people say target pack, I'm like, hunting is target panic. Like, mm. it's just, it's not like, oh, let me count me myself through my steps. And sure. I mean, so, there's times where you have that. I think where the tar- I grew up hunting running deer in long island yeah that how you literally it's a drive-by shooting you mm. got three seconds because he's not going to stop you can't grunt him to stop you you have to wait till they stop naturally and just mm-hmm. go and know that you're making the right shot at the right angle with the right yardage and you yeah. know so like and then with the coyotes and this and all that stuff so like i got used to this like sped up thing like oh th- there's my shot like my buck this year i'm like it was like I had five seconds. Am I going to do this? Okay, yes. All right, I'm going to draw back. And I was at full draw for like f- 10 seconds and I made two decisions, which I'm not, I, I've already said on the podcast and I, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but I'm like, should I shoot him in the neck or should I try to? I couldn't see his vitals because of, of the bush. Mm. But I knew the clip, I knew my arrow was going to clear it because the bush was at 25 yards oh, or 30 right. yards and right. he was at 50. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I don't know what I'm really holding on. I'm going to take this next shot because I've killed five or six animals this way and I've always been very good and 
I've had a lot of success with it under this. Now it's you know it's a much smaller shot up shot up window or whatever. But I took that shot and he, obviously I got the deer. But it was just very sped up. Like I knew. Did, all right, I got this. I got this. I got this. And I don't know how you how you teach. You can't really teach that, but you can train for it. Like mm-hmm. I trained for that. Like constantly, just like I do run shoots. I'll run. From, and I'm not telling people to do this because I don't want you to develop target panic because mm-hmm. you could possibly develop target panic doing this. But I'll, I'll start at a target. I'll run out 50 yards, turn around, knock an arrow real quick, draw back and shoot like that, that quick. Mm-hmm. And I'll do it back and forth. I used to do spree, speed 3D. I was mm-hmm. actually like a, a, tur- a tournament that I started years ago and I do pop-up 3Ds. Like you got just a couple of seconds. of So like I constantly train myself for those things and i think that's how why i hunt the way i hunt and why i've had the success that i've had i guess but i don't it's definitely not for everybody no i i don't think it is i i mean there's definitely guys can do it i used to do some events as well uh you probably know old kenton claremont he uh used to do the train to hunt events sure so we used to do those and um i did train to hunt did you yeah so third place yeah, nice. Yeah, they're <laughs> fun, man. They're like a Spartan race for bow hunters. So some of those like challenges that they would present, uh, I, I think back, I'm trying to remember, like two and 10-second shots. Oh, right? yeah. You remember uh-huh. that one? Yep. That, that was, was one of those where you literally had to get that second arrow off. So your first arrow goes, they hit the timer, and you got to give it. You only got 10 seconds. Sounds like it's all the time in the world. It's nothing. It goes by fast, and usually you're – having to rip that thing off right and you can you can definitely train and get good at it the one thing i noticed though because i knew a lot of the guys that were always training to try to win those things and i did it a bunch of times is you could definitely train but accuracy was good but not great Mm -hmm. when you rip that trigger off on that second shot after two and ten it was never obviously as good as the first one. First one you got all day if you're right. doing it right. You're holding, you're slowly pulling through. Second one is like get it in, not a 12 ring, but maybe a 10, maybe an 8. Mm-hmm. And then you had a, that's a good score. Yep. And that's how what you were going for. Never quite as accurate. But I think they set that up for the second shot, not the first shot. It's like, well, you got an arrow in him. Get a second arrow in him. Right. And that's why they did it. Yes. Because I know Kenton took a lot of heat for that one because it kind of, a lot of people were saying well, that's what it's, it is. it's training for panic. Well, it was, and it was meant to train for the second shot, the follow-up shot, right? Exactly. Um, it's just like I told you with the moose. Like, yeah. He literally, <laughs> I, I shot him at 50, he ran, and as he ran the 20 yards to mm-hmm. 70, I already had loaded another arrow at full draw and shot him again. Sure. Yep. Yep. And, and only because I was and like, it, it's a moose. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if an arrow is going to put him down. You know, that, there's I don't a bunch want of to other go. ways like you can train, <laughs> like, train to hunt as well had all these things where you do 20 burpees you'd run a sprint you'd come yeah. back get your shot off that was to get your heart and rate it's up time you yeah. know and and um you know it's a whole scoring system where you lose points if your shot is piss poor mm-hmm. you gain point or you don't lose anything if it's perfect right so you have to be fast but you also have to you slow yourself down to make yeah, the shot the mantra or the slogan was uh, you can't outrun bad shooting right mm-hmm so it was a cool thing to do and participate in, but man, I got to say, I did notice a lot of guys that trained for it never got great accuracy out of it, but they did get fairly good at getting that shot off quickly. Yep. 
But what we found to get the highest scores and the guys that did the best took way more time. So take your 100-yard sprint, come back, do your 20 burpees, box jumps, whatever, foot to the line, and this is timed. You got to get that shot off. The guys that did the best took a few extra seconds, took those deep breaths, calmed themselves, and the shots were typically always much more accurate when you do that. Some guys, their recovery rate was four or five seconds. Some guys took 10 to 15 seconds. And that was their sweet spot to where they were putting 12 rings in versus eight rings. That's a big deal. That's a big difference. And so it made more sense to take the time, take an extra handful of seconds even, and get that perfect shot in there for a 12 ring. But yeah, a lot of fun. But I do know like um, there's a lot of guys in these events that we do that they'll shoot all year round and they're pretty good. Yeah. But then you put them in a high stress environment it's with not the same. a bunch of eyeballs on them or a big old giant buck in front of them, you know, or whatever. And everything goes out the window yeah. and they almost go blind and don't even know what they're aiming at. Yeah. I've <laughs> seen it. We had, a, we had a friend, a close friend of mine, I pick up, pick on them all the time. He was probably a better shooter than us on any given day on a target. Mm. I mean, a guy could hit Tic Tacs, great eyesight, mm-hmm. just super. We used to call him the wounder because he'd always like miss over the top and like mm. just skip off the top of a, you know, an elk or a deer or whatever. And I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, what, what, what are you doing? Like, you just fall apart, like just fall Losing. apart. Yeah. A lot of guys do. I mean, I grew up when I was a little kid, just getting into bow hunting. We had a shop in Issaquah, Washington, and this uh, old gentleman named uh, old Dick Salvino, mm-hmm. great shot, run through courses, he taught, yada, yada. But then you get that man on a big bull elk and he'd miss it five yards oh. over and over and over again. And um, he'd cop to it. He just yeah. could not hit the broadside of a barn. Didn't matter how close that north idaho elk was in the brush he would lose it and he wouldn't even remember what he's doing and yet on the 3d course or in his shop his archery shop he was great and uh it's it's just weird how some people just all out the window they lose it at that moment of truth you and i apparently different different we uh keep it together but i tell you what it is extremely common for people to punch the heck out of that trigger at the moment of truth and accuracy does suffer and i think a lot of animals get wounded over it yeah no i agree with you like i said my 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 style and what how i do things definitely i try i i try not to preach what i do because Mm -hmm. i know it's not it's not going to be effective for other people but it's just the way i grew up it's just the way i did things and i I was self-taught nobody taught me how to bow hunt nobody taught me how to even shoot a bow I learned that myself like I literally just picked up a bow one day and said I'm going to shoot a bow mm. and that's my dad gave me a recurve when I was you know six or seven years old or whatever it was and I just started shooting and, same here you yeah. know I never nobody my dad my dad doesn't know how to shoot a bow and um, you know so I think that the take home from, from this discussion what we just had right now is really just having an intimate understanding of what your abilities are Mm -hmm. and what works and what doesn't work for you Mm -hmm. and sticking to those things. Yeah. Because as soon as you start going outside of that, 
that's when you got the bucks limping around. Yeah. That's when you got, you know, like. <laughs> well, I think everybody needs to put themselves in some high pressure situations. You know, I've done a lot with Joel Turner. I've had him come out and do a lot of education classes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been around a guy like Joel. Oh, yeah. I've known Joel for you years. You know Joel? Okay. I, so you know his Joel feather trick one of my and his first podcast yeah, guys, so years and years and years and years ago. Joel before. loves to intimidate people. Yeah. And he does that for a reason. He's a great educator. Yeah. He wants you to be in a pressure situation and see what you do. Like, do you lose it and just, you know, right. throw, just punch the heck out of that trigger at that time that he's in your face? And we may have 40, 50 eyeballs on you at the same time. Some guys can keep it together. Some guys can't. What Joel preaches the most is to be able to keep it together mm-hmm. and, uh, and to be able to just block all that other stuff out, focus on your pull through and all that. And it's really important. And uh, I've seen drastic changes in guys that before Joel came in mm-hmm. to after Joel came in. We go shoot the course before Joel's training in 3D courses and high winds and, you know, a bunch of eyeballs. And then we go shoot these courses after Joel has had, you know, his 30 minutes with him. And he's ran them through the, the rigors of him being in their face. Completely different shooters. Yeah. And uh, it's incredible to see. But some guys don't have the issues. Some guys really do. So I think it's everybody is different. Um, but I think putting yourself in high-pressure situations is uh, makes a world of difference. Yeah. Literally telling people to watch you shoot so that you focus on it as well and don't just get out in your driveway and go through the motions because there is nothing worse than just going through the motions. Oh, yeah. I don't think it does anything. Muscle no. memory is, uh, in my opinion, muscle memory is just uh, nonsense. Yeah. I think another key point to that what you're that I want to add to it is not just shooting you know 20 yards at a dot on a on a target like there's nothing about that that really translates to what you're going to do in the field mm-hmm. like most of the time you're either kneeling you're crouched over you're sitting you're just crawled you might you might be standing but you know it's an uneven ground. You're not sitting, like you said, a concrete driveway, whatever. Like those things don't happen in the field, and it's not. It's not good practice. It's not a good uh, example. Well to, yeah, it doesn't translate to what, to what, uh, what you're going to be faced with. Yeah. And I think so. Put yourselves in. Put yourself in those situations too, because that changes everything. Like mm-hmm. I mean, put a pack on. Mm-hmm. Wear your hunting gloves. Where you're hunting gear, yeah, like that. I can't tell you how many people. I mean, who've never even shot with their bino harness on or or gloves on or or anything, and they're they're going to go on a hunt. Like this, so, South Dakota. I mean, I'm hunting with giant ice mitts and you know, Stay Puft marshmallow looking shit. Like that's going to change the way you, I mean, it's going to change the mechanics and it's also going to change the way you feel You you don't feel it on your face anymore. Like, like those things you got to get used to doing otherwise. And all the years that I didn't practice those things, those are the years that I had. So that 2019 year where I wounded those, I was not well practiced at all. Mm. You know, and I, and I look back at years that I was very well practiced. Like what I, I shot an Ibex in 2015. I was so practiced, so well practiced like I was shooting steep, steep stuff, uphill, downhill, super windy in every position you could possibly imagine. And I did it consistently day in, day out. Like 
I was, I mean, I felt invincible, like how much I put myself through. Yeah. And it always translates like yeah. when you're out in the field like that. I think also another thing that I like to do is I, I don't do the dot. I, I eliminate the dot. Like I, Dots I love, for sighting in for me. <laughs> is it almost creates target panic. Yeah. Because guys feel like they have to punch it when that uh, pin floats over the dot. But just grabbing a 3D target and going for an area over a, like a, a dot. Mm-hmm. 3D courses are absolutely great for that. And you don't even need to keep score because let's face it, a lot of the 3D courses that we set up, they're angled, they're goofy, the rings aren't where they should be. I don't, a, I don't shoot position. it for where you want right. to score. You, you shoot, shoot it for where, where you kill it. Yes, yeah. exactly right. And I think that helps more than anything. Much better than um, shooting your block target out with a dot in your driveway. So I use the dot and I use the smallest dot possible for when I'm sighting in my bow, when yeah, I want to get my perfect. pins where I want it. Yep. But after that, I really try not to shoot a, a dot mm-hmm. anymore because, yeah. because of that. Yep, for sure. So, yep, I agree. All right, man. Well, I've, uh, I've eaten up a bunch of your time here. Yeah, I, I don't know if we've solved any of the world's problems today. Def- definitely not. But I think I created a few more with <laughs> talking about my don't do what I do. Do as I say, not as I do. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on. And uh, do you want to give any uh, shout-outs, anything you got going on? I know you and the missus got a, got a lot of product out there. And- oh, yeah. Yeah, we're... Um- we're here at the show, like we said. Uh, we got a booth we're sharing with Peaks Equipment, and we got just got some of our products. My wife's a naturopathic physician, and so we got some supplements here that we think matter, and they help me do what I do. So, yeah, we promote those as much as possible over at uh, StealthyHunter.com. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming helps us keep this free do me a favor go check out phoenix shooting bags use promo code john stallone to save 20 percent, all one word and check out how for wildlife thank you very much and we'll catch you on the next show